All right. Uh, good morning and welcome to Church on the Couch, uh, week number 15. This is, uh, I believe, week 15. This is the last week of Church on the Couch. And what? I, I, some of you might be saying, last week of Church on the Couch. That's right. This is the last week of Church on the Couch. Um, many of you have hopefully gotten the email from myself and the board of directors, uh, the board of uh, deacons, all the boards conjoined on that email. Um, but if you haven't, here is the content of that email. Uh, church is reopening next Sunday. Um, so that's right. Next Sunday, we will be back worshiping together in person in the building. Uh, the reason we're able to do so is because the government this week announced that uh, certain regions could enter into stage two of the uh, reopening, and uh, our region was one of those regions, and which meant that as long as the uh, public health minister for the region said we were clear, we were clear, and so we are. And so we are able to open at a capacity, uh, or 30% of our capacity for Sunday worship. So this week, your boards got together, and we spent a lot of time praying, and we spent a lot of time preparing and discussing and trying to make uh, wise, informed decisions about how best to safely open the church. Uh, and so the email, uh, I went over a lot of detail in that email. There's a lot of great information. If you didn't get the email this week, um, there's a lot of great info in there that's really important. So what you can do is send an email to avenueroad at rogers.com. That's avenueroad at rogers.com, or go on, the, uh, on our website if you can't find that email, and send an email to, to there or to myself, and we'll make sure we send you the letter that went out earlier this week, because there's a lot of great information about what will be happening, what isn't happening, and what you can do to prepare for Sunday church next week. So how we do church will look a little bit differently. Uh, it will feel a little bit differently. But just because it looks differently and it feels differently, it doesn't mean that God isn't working in the exact same way. God will be worshipped and praised in this building, no matter how the building looks or feels. So right now, actually, Ryan is going to do a little pan shot to give you what the pews kind of look like right now. So Ryan's going to get a little pan around. You're going to see a lot of uh, ribbon tape, some caution tape. You're going to see X's on the pews in masking tape. You're going to see all kinds of areas roped off. Um, basically, what this means is that some areas are out of bounds as, uh, for church. So some areas of the church are out of bounds. As such, we can't go in there. We can't use those things. Um, when you show up next Sunday, you will see outside there will be some signs on the doors. One will say in, enter and one will say exit. Uh, just make sure that you're looking out for signs on all doors. Uh, every door in the building is going to be a one-way path, either in or out. You can't go in and out of the same door. You're going to see arrows marked out on all the floors. You're going to see arrows, then those arrows indicate which way you should be walking in the church. Uh, all the traffic in the church is going to have to flow one way. And you'll see, of course, the pews that some of you might have just seen there in the, in the pan. Um, they're going to be marked off with ribbon tape and X's. Uh, it can be a little bit confusing about where you are to sit and you aren't to sit, so we're going to make sure that uh, some of the ushers at the doors will just give you a little bit of an explanation when you show up. Now, it might be confusing, and the first week might be a little bit different and a little bit slower getting started, uh, but we as a, as a church leadership, as your pastoral staff, as your boards, we are committed to making sure that our return to church is done in a safe manner. Uh, we are not willing to put anyone at risk. Uh, we're not, anyone's health is not more important uh, than, than coming back to church. So we're not going to put anyone at risk by this. Um, so if you're not ready to come back, if you're sitting there saying, I'm not, I'm not ready to come back yet, Lucas, that's totally okay. And I want to encourage you to stay home if you're not ready to come back. Uh, we want you to stay home as long as you need, as long as it takes for you to feel comfortable or ready to come back to church. Your, your health and your safety is our first priority. 
So we've also committed to keeping this live stream going. Uh, this is going to be a permanent part of our ministry as a church, this idea of a live stream that airs every time our church has a service. This live stream will air on YouTube at our YouTube page. So all of our services going forward will continue to be on this link at the YouTube page. And so every Sunday at 10 a.m., if you're not ready to come back yet, that is entirely okay, and we want to encourage you to stay home until you feel safe. So uh, if you have any questions, please reach out to myself, a deacon, or uh, a board member of the board of directors, and they'll be happy to answer any questions or concerns you have, and uh, together we'll make sure that a return to safe is done, or return to church is done in a safe manner. So with that, let's start with prayer. <sighs> Father, we are so excited for uh, the way you are working and you are moving in the world. God, we, we are excited um, by the news, uh, by our government that has cleared the way for us to come back to church in, in a physical uh, sense, in a physical building together. So Lord, we are so excited for that. And Father, we ask that you would continue to give us wisdom about how to do so. Lord, give us, give us courage uh, for, for where, Father, maybe we need to try new things, or, or Father, courage to stay home, if that's the case, Father. Help us feel at peace with the decision that we have made, and Lord, would you inform our decision. Lord, would you be alongside us as we make a decision whether to come back or whether to stay home for, uh, for a longer time, Father. Lord, we just ask that you would continue to, to be with this church, with this family. Lord, may we reach out to our brothers and our sisters. May we reach out to our neighbors, our, our co-workers. May we tell them all about your love and your grace and the great things that you are doing. God, thank you that in this time of different normal than we were used to, Father. We just thank you for the opportunity to, to rest at times, Lord. And we thank you for the reminder that, Lord, that the church is not a building. The church is a people. The church is, is, is a group of people, is a family, is a worldwide network. So, Lord, we just pray for, for all of our churches around Canada, especially and our brothers and sisters around the world, as, as they are considering going back and, and doing church physically in a building together. Lord, would you give them wisdom? Would you be with them in their process, in their decision-making as well? And Father, we just ask that everything we do would be to your glory and your praise. We thank you for all your many blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so, today we carry on in Philippians, looking at chapter 2, and we're going to look today at verses 12 to 18. And uh, next week, I am going to do my best to have my hair cut before we start because it's bothering even me having to fix my hair so often. So hopefully next week, this mop looks a little bit better for you. But today, we're looking at uh, Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18. So it says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fill his good purpose. So do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. For then you will shine like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I am glad, and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and should rejoice with me. Today we're talking about what it looks like to be a star-studded Christian, or what it takes to be a Christian star, or what does a star Christian look like? Most of us at some point when we were growing up, we had dreams of being a star in some way. Uh, perhaps like me, you dreamed of playing in the NHL. Perhaps uh, you dreamed of being a star in the NHL and you dreamed of your name being up there alongside Wayne Gretzky as one of the greats. 
Or perhaps you, you wanted to play baseball in the majors. That's your dream is to play baseball in the majors. Or perhaps you dreamed of, of being a famous chef in a, in a worldwide restaurant or a famous actor or actress. Or perhaps you dreamed of being an astronaut and physically going up to see the stars. Perhaps you dreamed of being the prime minister or of being a famous business person. The point is that many of us as kids, we dreamed of being a star. Uh, we dreamed of this idea of stardom. As we got older, some of those dreams might have become distant memories, and some of us might have simply changed our dreams, and, or our dreams changed along the way. But being a star was something that many of us dreamt of as a kid. But what about now as a Christian? Is there such thing as a star-studded Christian? Is there such thing as a Christian star? I think, yes, absolutely there is. But I think it's not on the same grounds or basis that makes up this idea of a Hollywood star or a non-Christian star. Things like, like pride or money or, or good looks, the things that make up a star in culture today are not the things that make up a star as a Christian. They're not the things that make for a Christian star. Jesus mentions this very idea in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. He says, you are the light of the world, so let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Paul says something almost the exact same in Philippians 2.15, and it says, you shine like stars in the world. See, a Christian star is one that doesn't point to themselves. A Christian star isn't about pointing glory to themselves. A Christian star is one who shines like a beacon in this dark world. It's not like a, a star in the sense of the, a Hollywood star where your, go, your goal is to glorify yourself and, and get a, a physical star in the walk of fame, but it's more like a star, like a lighthouse, uh, a lighthouse or a beacon there to guide others in their way, there to point to something other than themselves. See, a lighthouse is not there to point to themselves and to, to light themselves up, but a lighthouse is there to guide others' ships in the dark. It's there to, to guide and point out the dangers it's there to point out that you are coming too close to land. It was there to guide ships safely through the harbor. See, the shepherds likewise followed a star. The star wasn't there to point to themselves or to point to the star itself, but a star was there to point its way to Jesus. So a Christian star is nothing like a Hollywood star or a star in culture today. It's more like a lighthouse. It's more like a beacon. And this beacon on this lighthouse points others to Jesus. A Christian star is there not to shine on itself, but to shine on others to help them find their way to God. So what makes up a Christian star or a star-studded Christian? How do you become a Christian star? Well, Paul has a lot to say about it right here in these six verses to the Philippians. And so I'm going to look at five things that a Christian star does that will set them apart in this world. And in the words of Paul, that will help them to shine like stars in the world. I'm borrowing the outline of these five points from Dr. David Jeremiah in his book, Turning Towards Joy. And so we'll start with verse 12. The first thing that Christian stars do is they will do their work. They will do their part. In verse 12 it says, So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That part at the end there, Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's kind of a confusing statement, and sometimes it throws us for a loop. Because many read it, and we immediately say, well, Paul, you said work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but, but we can't work our own salvation. We can't work for our salvation. Paul, we're saved by grace, not by works. 
So, so Paul, you know, salvation is a gift. It's not something we can work for and earn. So Paul, what do you mean when you say work out your own salvation? See, I think when we read it that way and we understand it that way, though, it's because we actually read the words where it says work out, we're actually substituting the words work for. Paul doesn't say work for your own salvation. He says work out your own salvation. So what does that mean? then? Well, Ralph Martin in his commentary points us to the next verse for the answer. He says, verse 12, where it says, work out, the answer for what that means is in verse 13, where it says, it is God who is working in you. See, Paul's kind of reminding us here that our salvation starts with God, not with us. See, God works in us, saving us. He saves us from our sin and from our brokenness. Salvation is a gift from God, and God works that in us. And so then we are able to work out what God has already worked in. See, basically, we're being told to work out what this salvation, what this salvation that God has done for us, work out what that means for us in our day-to-day lives. What does that salvation, this gift from God, what does that mean as I do my nine-to-five job? What does that mean for me as I, as I sit at the cottage? What does that working in of that salvation that God did for me, what does that mean for me to work out at the golf course? What does it mean for my marriage? What does that salvation mean for raising up my children? See, that salvation that God has worked in affects every area of our lives, or, or it should affect every area of our lives. It should make a difference in the way we live, the way we talk, the way we interact with people. It should, it should change what we prioritize. It should change our very worldview. That thing that God has worked in us should change the very way and essence in which we live. So what does your salvation do for you, do for the way that you live your life every single day? See, it should make a drastic change, or it should make a drastic impact in you as a person. So so God has worked in you for your salvation, or he has worked salvation in you, and now Paul is reminding you to work out, work that out, work that salvation outwards towards others, towards the way you live your life. In every single day, it should impact it. And see, God has done his part. He has worked that salvation in us. He always does his part. He can't not do his part. It's not in his nature to not do his part. So God has done his part. So a Christian star then does their part. They do their part, and they do their working out. So they work out what God has worked in. That's the first thing that a Christian star does. And the second thing that a Christian star does is that they depend on God. The rest of verse 13, we, the, whole, the whole verse 13 says, For it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. We've already talked that first half, seeing that it's God who's responsible for our salvation. We can't earn it ourselves, so God works that in us. So, so we can do our part since God has done his part. But the next part of this verse says, Enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. See, it's God that has enabled us to do this. God gives us both the will and the ability to do what he has asked for us in this life. And that's important for us to remember because we don't rely on our own strength, we don't rely on ourselves, but we rely on God. See, sometimes I think when we're faced with a big task or a daunting problem, we look at it and realize we're not equipped for it. We realize we don't have what it takes to accomplish this thing or, or we're not able to do it or we're not up, up to that task. And so we kind of want to give up. See, we look at our problem and we go, that's, that's too big for us. I can't do it. That's we give up before we even start. 
But see, a star-studded Christian or a Christian star looks at those problems and realizes that they're not equipped, that they're not big enough to handle that problem. The problem is much bigger than them as a person, but they realize that that problem is nowhere as big as God is. So as big as that problem is, they look at it and go, well, it's bigger than me, but it's not even close to as big as my God. I think sometimes it's like God puts us in situations purposely that are too big for us or too hard for us to remind us that we are not to do it on our own. We're not to do everything by ourselves. We're to do it with God. We're to remember that God is the, it's, it's God who enables us to do those big things, to do those, those tasks. God asked us, he said, I have a, a standard. He set a standard of living, a standard of perfection. And we simply could not live up to that standard of perfection. And so God sent his son to pay that debt for us. That's a debt we could never pay on our own. See, it's God who supplies everything that we need. God enables us with both the will and the ability to do his purposes. We have to remember that as Christians. It's not by my own skill that I do God's work, but it's by God's grace and his gifting and God's provision that I do his work. So that's point two. It's point two that they depend on God while they do that working out. Now the third thing that Christian stars do is that they are not complainers. The next verse says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Verse 14. The word arguing there has also been translated as bickering or complaining, and sometimes as murmuring. And how much do we complain or grumble or murmur as a society? See, I think our society loves complaining. If you've been on social media lately, it's essentially a laundry list of complaints at this point. Complaining about one situation or another. We're complaining about, you know, the fact that we couldn't get haircuts until yesterday, or we're complaining that I can't go get a tattoo, or we're complaining that my favorite restaurant's not open, or I'm complaining that I can't go to the wall, or sorry, to the mall, or I'm complaining that people are going to the mall, and I'm complaining that people aren't following the rules, and I'm complaining and complaining, and a lot of what we do, we complain or we grumble about. But see, complaining and grumbling while we're doing God's work is not what we're called to do. When we grumble and complain about these things, we're failing to recognize our situation for what it really is. And often our situation is simply an opportunity. It's an opportunity to show love or an opportunity to show grace or an opportunity to practice endurance. And we're simply not aware of it. See, this pandemic is a perfect opportunity or a perfect example. I've seen and heard people complaining about all sorts of things, complaining about Starbucks or that they're stuck at home or that they can't go to their cottage or they can't do this, and I've seen some, so much complaining. But when we're consumed by complaining as a people, we have forgotten that God is God and he's in charge of the world, and we are not God. We are not in charge of the world. We see being told to stay home and complain about how inconvenient it is instead of seeing it as a great opportunity to spend more time with our spouse or our children. We see being told that we can't go to work in our, in our factory, and that we have to stay home and, and can collect a, a benefit from the government, and we, and we complain about how it's not enough, or we complain that we can't go to our jobs. Instead of seeing it as an opportunity to take some time and rest, an opportunity to spend some time investing ourselves into God, investing ourselves into God's work. We complain that we can't go to the gym or we can't go shopping. Instead of seeing this as an opportunity to slow down a little bit, take some slower steps in life. See, I think when we complain, when we complain about these kinds of things, it's actually just a matter of changing our focus. It's a matter of changing the way that we are looking at the situation. We want to complain about how life is this way or that way. We really need to just change our focus and try to see things from God's view. 
So instead of looking at it and seeing the negative or seeing how it is negative on us and it impacts us, we need to change our focus and look at it from God's view and see how it's impacting the world or see how God sees how it's impacting. See, now some will say, well, Luke, we're called to sometimes complain. But I think what we're using is sometimes when we, we, we want to say we're called to complain, we actually mean we're called to lament. And complaining and lamenting are two different things. You know, complaining, I think that when we're times, when we're called to lament, um, we think that it's complaining. But there are times we're called to, to lament our situations, to lament our circumstances, to cry out to God, to seek God, to find out where He is in the circumstance because we can't see Him, to find out where God is in this darkness. But see, complaining is not lamenting. They're not the same. You know, complaining or grumbling or murmuring, that's what your teenage son does when you ask him to take out the garbage. That's what your teenage son does then. He complains or he, you know, grumbles or murmurs. Complaining and grumbling is, is what your daughter does when you ask her to clean her bedroom. You know, I order a pizza and they forget to put a cheese on it, so I want to complain. That's not lamenting. That's complaining. I can choose to grumble and complain over they forgetting to put the feta cheese on my pizza, or I can simply take a different view and look at the fact that I live in a world where I can simply go on my cell phone and order a pizza. And I can look at the blessing of, I, I didn't have time to cook that night, and so I could just simply order one, and it comes right to your door. I can be joyful over the fact that I'm able to afford a pizza. I can be joyful over the fact that we live in a society where these kinds of conveniences are there, and they do make society a little bit easier. So I can look at all those things and see the joy and the blessings and amazing, or I can choose to complain and grumble because they forgot feta cheese. See, I think we find ourselves complaining because we are so focused on ourselves. We're so focused on our view or our side. But when we stop and we look at it from another angle, when we reframe our lens and we see it from God's view, I think that most of our complaints would simply fall away. See, as Christian, Paul calls us to do the things that we are supposed to do, to do God's work and to do it without complaining, to do that working out and to not grumble if that complaint or if that work is not, you know, the most famous of work. If that work is not on a stage in front of everyone, Paul says you're supposed to work it out and you're supposed to do it without complaining. If we focus on our problems, then that's what we're going to see. We won't see anything else, and that's why we will complain and grumble and murmur under our breath. But if we focus on God and we focus on His goodness and His purposes, I don't think we will find that much to complain about in life. So the third thing that a Christian star does is they do their work, they work it out, and they do it by depending on God and without complaining. And see, next verse, or our next point comes from verses 15 to 16. It says, So that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you will shine like stars of the world. See, the fourth point is that Christian stars make a difference because they are different. See, there's a few key words here that uh, we should highlight in this, section, or in, this, in this section, and this is what Paul calls us as Christian stars to be. He says, be blameless, pure, faultless. Those are what Paul calls us to. He calls us to those things. That's the things that should characterize what we are as Christians. And contrast that with the way that Paul describes the world in this section, and he calls the world crooked and perverted. See, the Christian is called to visibly be different, to be noticeably different. In Romans, Paul says that we are supposed to be set apart. We're supposed to be different. The world should look at you as a Christian and notice a difference. They should see something in you that is different just by the way you live, just by the way you talk to people, just by the way you interact. They should look at you and see something different. 
See, Paul calls us to be a straight edge in a world that is full of crooked edges. Someone once told me that the reason that they hated the church and that they don't go is not because they don't believe in God, but it's because they see the people in it as no different than the world around them. They see the people in it as just as crooked and perverted as the world around them. And on one hand, it's sort of true that the church is not a full place full of perfect people, but it is a place full of, uh, of broken people who, who simply rely on God, and, and we're all fallen, we're all sin, sinful. But on the other hand, Paul is specifically calling us to be set apart. He's specifically calling us to be different. He tells us to shine like stars, like a light in the world. And see, if we try to do that on our own, if we try to be pure and blameless and faultless and try to shine like stars on our own, there's no way we'll do it. That's where we go back to verse 12 and 13. And remember that it is God who enables us to live a different life. It's God who enables us, gives us the ability to be different and then make a difference. So if we want to be a straight line in a crooked-lined world, we have to stop trying to be that on our own. We have to let God come alongside us and work through us. I have a friend who's just a beacon of joy. Many of my friends in our youth pastor in the city know this person. And when you're around this person, it's just contagious, this joy that she lives with. You start to automatically be more joyful. She's so excited and happy and joyful all the time that it just rubs off on you. It pours out of you. You start to catch this joy that radiates out of her as a person because it just fills who she is. People ask her all the time. They say, where do you get this joy? Why are you so happy all the time? Why is there such a real happiness to the way you live every single day in this broken and messed up world? How can you have so much joy? And her response is always the same. It's because of Jesus. She has this joy inside of her because of Jesus. See, people meet her and instantly they recognize there's something different in her. She's so different than the world around her and they want to know what it is. This different about her speaks to people and it speaks on her behalf. The way she lives life is so set apart in the world around her that people are, can't help but notice. They can't help but see what this is. Does the way you live, the way you speak, is it different than the world around you? Are you set apart just by the way you live? Or are you indistinguishable from the world around you? Do you blend in so well that we see no difference in you? See, people should see the way that Christians live, and they should automatically notice the difference. They should notice that we are living with and for something else. There's just something inside those Christians that people should see and want. They should look at us as we walk down the street and go, I don't know what it is, but I want that. Whatever they've got, I want it because it's so different. See, that's what makes us shine like a star. They should see that, that different in us, and it should point them to something. And it should point them to Jesus. It should point them to God. Eventually, they're going to see that difference, and you're going to ask, you're going to say, what is it? What do you have? What is it that makes you so different, and how do, you, how do you live this way? I want what you have. And that's our opportunity to say, well, it's not me. It's Jesus. It's God in me. I, I'm not any, doing anything special myself. It's I live with Jesus inside of me, and that's what you're seeing. We get an opportunity, just by living differently, we get an opportunity to share the love and grace of Jesus with them. So the fourth point there is that Christians make a difference, or a Christian star makes a difference, because they're different. And the final thing that makes a Christian star, or the final thing that a Christian star does, is that they live for others, not themselves. 
See, Paul says, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run in vain or labor for nothing, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should rejoice with me and share your joy with me. Paul's saying here, a Christian star doesn't live for himself or herself. They live for others. They live to serve, not be served. Paul says it twice here. He says, first, that he looks forward to boasting about the Philippians and all that they have done and all that they are doing. He says he looks forward to the day when Christ returns. So the day he's standing in front of Jesus, Jesus comes back and says, Paul, what did you do with your life? And Paul says, what, what did I do? Look at these Philippians. Look at what they're doing. Look at all these amazing things that they're doing. Look at how God is working through them. Look at the joy and, and the blessing and the way that they serve. And Jesus, I was part of that. I got to be part of what the amazing work the Philippians were doing. I got to do this work with them. See, Paul doesn't want to boast about all the things that he has done and how amazing he is, but he wants to boast about others. He wants to boast about what others are doing for Jesus. And I think in society, we like to boast about ourselves. We want to boast about our bank accounts. We want to, we want to feel important based off of how many dollars we have. We want to boast about our second home, that one that we bought, you know, on an island somewhere. We want to boast about a big raise that we got at our job or a huge promotion that we got at our job. You know, at pastor's conference, one of the things that frustrates me so much is that inevitably in conversation with pastors, it turns to a talk of numbers. And, and I hear as pastors boast about how big their congregation is or how large their budget is or they boast about what new building project they're doing. See, Paul is not excited to boast about any of those things. He's excited to boast about what the Philippians are doing for others. He's excited to boast about an other. See, he's grateful just to be part of the impact that the Philippians are having on their generation. He's grateful that he gets to be part of that impact. And so Paul, the second thing that Paul does, he mentions that he might be poured out as an offering. He says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering on your sacrifice. This is a reference to an Old Testament practice of pouring wine on an animal sacrifice. So you would put your animal sacrifice on the altar, but before you consume it with fire, before you burn it, you would pour out wine on it. See, when the, then when the fire comes up, the first thing that would be consumed is this wine. And the fire would consume the wine and a beautiful aroma would go up. And so you're part of the sacrifice. And Paul says, he's basically saying here, even if I die for you, even if I am part of a sacrifice and die for you, I'm not going to be upset as long as you keep living for Jesus. It will be, have, have been worth it for me. Paul is willing to lay his life down in sacrifice for the Philippian church so that they can keep doing God's work. Now, how many of us can truly say that? How many of us would be willing to lay down our lives for others so they continue to do God's work? I asked this question at Young Adults this week. I said, you know, if, if you were given the choice and, and someone said to you, we can solve world hunger, but you have to die in order for that to happen. Everyone in the young adults group said, yes, I'd, I'd be willing to lay down my life to solve world hunger. If that's what it took, I would do it. And then I said, what if it was just, you know, hunger for one city? What if you would die and one city would never be hungry again? Oh, there was a humming and hawing. I think I would still do it, most people said. And I said, what if you had to die so that one person would have never go hungry again? What if your death meant one person would never be hungry? And that was really hard for people to say. It would be hard for us to lay down our lives for others. But Paul is saying he would happily lay his life down for them so that they can continue to do God's work. Now, this idea of laying our physical life down is not one we're usually faced with in North America. But the reality is, is that on the daily, Christians around the world are faced with losing their life for the gospel. 
many of them are willing to die for the gospel. They're willing to lay down their lives so that others can keep going with the spread of the gospel. This world is not a perfect place. There is lots of suffering in this world. Jesus said in John 16, you will have suffering in this world. And so it's no surprise that there is suffering in this world. Jesus showed us how true it was. You know, they killed the prophets, they killed the Messiah, then they killed the apostles, and even today, Christians around the world are still being killed just for being Christians. Tertullian once said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And see, so a Christian star does not live for their own glory. A Christian star does not live to bring their own successes, but a Christian star lives for others. A Christian star lives to serve others, lives to love others, and like Paul, is ready to lay down that life in service of others if it's needed. Now, that's not easy to take in, but that's what a Christian star is called to do, to live for others and not themselves. See, the thing is that we are called to be Christian stars. Paul says that we are called to be stars shining among the world. We are called to be lights in the world. We are called to be set apart. We are called to be a beacon or a lighthouse that guides others through the darkness to Jesus. It guides them through the storms to God. A Christian star doesn't point to themselves, but a Christian star points to God in everything that we do. So we are called to do our work, depend on God, do it all without complaining, be different, and in that difference, make a difference. And finally, we're called to live for others, not ourselves. The type of star that we are called to as Christians is very different than the type of star that the world sees in culture around them. So we are blessed then that we don't have to do it on our own, that God will help us to shine like stars so that others may see Jesus in us and through us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that, Lord, you help us and enable us to shine like stars in the world. Thank you we don't have to do that on our own. Lord, thank you that we, we, uh, we are supported and encouraged and filled by you as we try to be set apart and different. So, Father, enable us. Give us the ability. Give us the will to be set apart. Help us to shine like stars. Lord, let us be a lighthouse, a beacon in our community. Let us not point to ourselves and point to our own glory, but let us point to you in everything that we do. Jesus, in a world that is, that is hopeless right now, a world that is dark and, and scared and afraid and full of fear and anxiety, Lord, help us to shine so bright that people look at us and they see you, that we can help people walk through this darkness safely and find their way to Jesus. Father, help us to be stars in the sky of the world around us. Thank you for everything you do, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Shine upon you and 
generations and your family and your children and their children and their children his favor be upon you and a thousand generations and your family and your children
So I'll leave you with the words that we just sang from Numbers. Numbers 6, 25, or 24 and 25. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you. May he give you peace. Amen.